Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the hot rod farmer from New Jersey, right? That's where this funny accent is from, in case you are listening for the first time. And if you are listening for the first time, of course, possibly you're listening as a podcast, I want to welcome you to the show. And if you're a longtime listener, I want to thank you so much for tuning in to me on Rural Radio, Sirius XM Channel 147. And we get together here every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And I have to make a correction because we're changed. Because remember last week I said the time for the Sunday re-air is going to be changed. Well, it changed back to its normal time. So it was a false alarm. So every Saturday at 11 a.m. Eastern with a re-air of the same episode Sunday at 6 p.m. as it always was, 6 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio, channel 147, and a week after the show airs on Rural Radio, it is listed as as a podcast for eternity, right? So you could always listen to it and reference it, and that's on my website, farmmachinerydigest.com. Just click on the FMD radio tab, and it is on most, if not all, major podcast hosting sites. So wherever you get your podcasts from that you listen to, and maybe you listen to my Idle Chatter podcast, I invite you to do so. I would be honored if you listen to this show and the Idle Chatter. But also I do, uh, actually as an aside, I do four podcasts, and the radio show being the fifth. When it lists as a podcast, I do Idle Chatter, which started this whole journey, and then I do two what I call short shows, and one is called Bushels and Cents. So it's Bushels and Cents, C-E-N-T-S, money. And the other one is the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. And then I do a show maybe once a month called On the Road. And there I feature people that are either passionate about farming or I say firing orders, meaning engines or machinery, what have you. And some of them are passionate about both. And then with the radio show, there's actually five shows that I am blessed with. So you could get overloaded on this guy from New Jersey, but hopefully, God willing, that you uh, enjoy them and and find value in them. So, but what I need to do is I need to announce some winners. And if you're not familiar with it, I have a hot rod contest to win an American-made embossed hot rod farmer license plate. And all you have to do is go to my website, farmmachinerydigest.com and fill out the form to get into that contest. And when you get into that contest, I also put a pin in my map to where you are from, not your actual street address, but so I could have an idea of where the audience is from. And I always say, so I could better serve you with my content. But this week's winners are, we have two winners every week, Mr. Richard Bronick, B-R-O-N-E-C, and he is from Great Falls, Montana. And if I remember correctly, Mr. Bronick, you had a beautiful older Steiger tractor that you sent me some pictures of, and hopefully I didn't mess you up with another guy from Montana, but I don't think so, because I remember your name and uh, beautiful tractor, and you uh, updated with all modern elect- you know, auto steer and things of that nature. Uh, end row turn, I think you told me. So that's Mr. Richard Bronick. And then Mr. David Osterlow. And he is from Maria Stein, Ohio, and I communicated with him also when he contacted me to get into the contest. And I believe that that he dairy farms with his son there in Ohio. And I think, if I remember correctly, Mr. Ostolo is a Toro, Oldsmobile Toronado fan. When he was a younger man, he had a, a old, uh, well, <clears throat> when he was in high school, he had an old, <clears throat> an old Oldsmobile Toronado. 
And so that is great. So Mr. Bronick and Mr. Ostolo, please send me an email <clears throat> at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. And then we will, uh, I will get you that Hot Rod Farmer license plate. Know where to send it. And on today's show, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about elusive cooling system issues. And, you know, and a lot of things are, are when you work on mechanical stuff is elusive. When you're just, when you're farming, things are elusive also, right? Like why that plant turned purple, <laughs> but that corn plant. But it's only elusive until you start to investigate it. But cooling system issues are often elusive. They're probably almost akin to electrical issues because you, you you can't really see what is going on but you see the end result and it being summertime and being hot all right cooling system issues and if you do if you're if you're harvesting wheat you're running that combine hard you're running those those grain the pulling those grain carts maybe you're running a semi hard so cooling systems issues can be very very elusive but all you know is that the temperature gauge is going to the right but keep in mind that you could also have cooling system issues in the dead of winter it could be 20 degrees minus f fahrenheit and you could have a cooling system issue and overheat so it's not just a summer thing but it's more exasperated during the summer and right after the break we're going to get into that but never forget agriculture runs on machinery but profits on reliability marvel's podcasts are now on the sirius xm app get the latest in comics tv film and beyond Hear from the storytellers and what's up and coming. From This Week in Marvel, Marvel's Voices, Women of Marvel, and Marvel's Pull List. Hear new episodes of their weekly series on Sirius XM before anywhere else. Now on the Sirius XM app. Free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. This is Jimmy Sterner with a reminder to join me for the Saturday Night Polka Party. That's Saturdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 5 Central. They repeat that same show every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern right here on Channel 147 Rural Radio. It's a great way to start your week off. It's a Saturday Night Polka Party. Saturdays at 6 Eastern, again on Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Channel 147 Rural Radio. This is Mark Oppold with an American Agriculture History Minute, brought to you by AgriLiquid. For a fast-acting, foliar-applied potassium fertilizer, check out Capitalize from AgriLiquid with added benefits of calcium and sulfur. Learn more at agriliquid.com. In the 1600s, new colonists would correspond with family members back in Britain via letters carried by cargo ships that would cross the Atlantic but take several months to reach their final destination. There were no post offices in the new colony, so letters historically were left at inns or taverns next to a harbor before making the trip across the Atlantic. On July 26, 1775, the U.S. postal system was established by the Second Continental Congress, and Benjamin Franklin became the first Postmaster General. That's today's American Agriculture History Minute. I'm Mark Oppold. Welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, and uh, I want to share a story with you. Some of you may have heard this story before, but many years ago when I had my engine shop and used to build 
hot rod engines were basically drag race stuff did some marine engines but mostly drag race engines and street strip engines real fast street cars not as fast as they are today but back then they were pretty fast for their time but i had a customer from california and uh, tom hines uh, was his name sadly he passed away but my buddy gene worse than i got involved with running the uh, silver state classic that open road race out in nevada which we had never done before and prior to that tom had contacted me to get some parts he had a camaro it was an 89 iraq camaro and uh, he was an engineer for raytheon missile systems so he was a very educated guy he had some sort of level of uh, i'm going to say top secret maybe not. i don't know how some sort of security clearance to work on the, the missile systems but anyway, to make a long story short, short he had this Camaro, and the, the, the Camaro ran like a bear. I mean, it, had a, it was a thing that had a 434 small block in it or a 420 small block, but whatever, but it was. And so the problem he had with the Camaro was that he'd take it out on the open road race. He'd get to about 221, 222 miles an hour. And, uh, and it, in, just as an aside to this, what it was is that the, this organization got a permit for the state of Nevada, Nevada, and they closed the road for 92 miles. So you raced for 92 miles on this open, actual public road that was closed, legally closed. So he would get up to about a little bit more than 220, and the temperature gauge would start to climb to the right, and some, you know it's a built temperature, and then he released the throttle. And maybe 217, 218, 219, the temperature gauge would drop down. So it was almost as if the temperature gauge were mechanically linked to the throttle. And then he went crazy with this, had the motor apart. And because of his background as a as an advanced engineer in Raytheon missile systems, he uh, was, well, we all tend to sometimes overthink stuff because it was elusive. It was elusive cooling system issue. So it only happened at like 200, a little bit more than 220 miles per hour. And then he fought this for a couple of years and uh then he ran into somebody who was at that race and they said oh tom i have a picture of your car that i took along the along the route i've been meaning to give it to you so he gave tom and the guy was a quasi-professional photographer so it was a nice blown up image and very clear and what have you and tom looks at it and the irock had a i'm gonna call it a grill it had a grill underneath the front bumper to bring air into the engine and it looked like a Venetian blind, and the, and the plastic slats at 200, let's say 20 miles per hour would bend and close up, and that's what was basically happening. And then you'd release the throttle, scrub them a couple miles an hour off, and there wasn't enough wind to, to bend it then, and they'd open back up, and the cooling system would be fine. So he took a sawzall, he cut that out, and I think the car went 232 miles per hour after that. And some of you may have heard that story before because it is a true story. All my stories that I tell you are true, and they have a segue into what we are talking about. So now these are, are talking about elusive cooling system uh issues with obvious liquid cooled engines we're not going to discuss anything with air cooled engines because they could have a cooling system issue also because if they don't have proper airflow or the fins on the cylinder are not clean or what have you but that's probably a show for it uh, that's a topic for a different show so these are liquid cooled engines and it makes no difference what it is all right Com- um, combined to cadillac 
motorcycle to s to to suv to irrigation pump to tractor to sprayer it makes a difference the coolant does not know what it's in all right so but the first thing we need to to establish and which is a common mistake that a lot of people make a thought common thought process is that the radiator cools the engine the radiator does not cool the engine the radiator removes the heat from the liquid the liquid cools the engine so you need to have this proper thought process in your mind because when you're diagnosing an elusive cooling system issue most of the time but not every time it's a liquid issue so in essence that the radiator the coolant is doing its job inside the engine it's acting like a sponge and absorbing the heat but what is happening is the radiator is not dissipating heat and or something else is not allowing the radiator to dissipate it dissipate the heat for instance in tom's situation is that the front of the radiator is called the air side because that's where the airflow goes through and a radiator is nothing more than a heat exchanger it's going to take the heat from the liquid coolant which which was heated inside the engine and it's going to to give it up it's to the air so the air is going to go through the radiator and the air it's going to so it's going to exchange the heat that's why it's called the heat exchanger exchange it from the liquid and it's going to give it into the air and the air is going to pass through so you can very well have air side issues so it's something that you need to keep in mind and that's why i told you that story with with tom but i have a couple of bullet points here that i want to go over and establish that when you have a cooling system that is that uh, is not functioning properly and by not functioning properly most of the time it is that the engine is that the engine is running hot and i really don't want to say the, the engine ultimately is running hot because the the heat from the liquid is not being dissipated so it's like a merry-go-round all right but it's actually the liquid temperature that we're chasing and you could also have a cooling system issue where you're not building heat but most of the time it's the other way around the times that it's not building heat is is a lot easier to diagnose than the times that it's getting too hot so now let's start with the radiator because remember the radiator's job is to cool the liquid the liquid's job is to cool the engine and it's not even to cool it it's to transfer it so it's a transfer of heat all right so it's always so it's always a transfer transfer from the engine to the liquid and from the liquid to the radiator and from the radiator to the atmosphere to the air to the air all right so now we're not going to talk about the obvious like a plugged radiator core or a radiator that's leaking and low on coolant so we're going to talk about some other things that a lot of people don't look at it's important to recognize that the fins of the radiator the fins are between the tubes of the radiator it makes a difference if it's horizontal or if it's a cross flow or down flow radiator but the fins are responsible for the heat transfer so what's going to happen is the fin needs to touch the tube just like when you plant plant a seed you need to have seed to soil contact the fin needs to touch the tube and if it touches the tube that's where the where it touches the tube is actually where the heat transfer is going to occur and then the air goes through the fin right from the air side of the radiator however whether you're going down the highway or if you're a, an irrigation engine with a fan that's pulling air through it and that is where the heat transfer occurs so you have to keep in mind that if you have any fin detachment from the tubes 
any place there is fin detachment, and you may have an older older application where the fins actually, it may be a, a, a irrigation engine, all right, or it may be a sprayer or a combine where it doesn't get beat up with road salt and debris from the road or bugs hitting it, but they still detach from the thermal cycles and also just from deterioration. So as they start to detach, then you're going to lose, there's going to be no minimal heat transfer. I don't want to say no, minimal heat transfer from where that fin is detached from the tube. So if you look at a radiator, and when you buy a new radiator, so if you were to look at a radiator for, let's say, a Ford Crown Victoria versus a Ford F-150 with the towing package, both the same engine, all right, I'm using that as an older application, uh, that the the truck radiator, the heavy-duty radiator, is going to have a higher fin density so there's going to be more just like you look at plant population so my sweet corn is 20,400 all right so per acre on 28 inch rows so if you look at my neighbor growing field corn he's got 42,000 per acre all right on on uh 30 inch rows but if i have three seeds in a row in a row in a row don't germinate then i got almost a three foot gap in my plants if he has three seeds that don't gra- don't germinate in a row he's got maybe 10 11 or 12 inch gap in the plant so my field looks like it's empty because i got a three foot gap because of because of my spacing so the same thing happens so there is a difference in radiators the more efficient the radiator is that it's going to have a higher fin density the problem with a higher fin density though is that it's more as more airflow resistance so other components of the design have to come into play but you have to look at the radiator when you're having a problem and say to yourself okay how is our fins are our fins touching the touching the the tubes or they deteriorated okay so that is something to keep in mind another thing about a thermostat now keep in mind that a thermostat when it is closed that it doesn't allow coolant to, to go to the radiator and then when it starts to open and it opens uh, it opens through a wax pellet against spring pressure spring pressure keeps it closed so now it's important for you to recognize that that wax pellet if that thermostat gets old and may not be opening that thermostat all the way so or the thermostat could be stuck maybe the spring broken the spring is jammed what have you the thermostat could be stuck now when you have a thermostat that's only partially open it's going to have a contradiction it's like looking at a crop and saying well it has signs of boron uh, uh, uh boron toxicity and a lack of boron to make something up i'm not an agronomist i don't know if that could happen but it's going to have a conflict so if you have a thermostat that is stuck open the engine will be slow to warm up and build heat but then it'll also run hot once it gets to gets to some sort of temperature or under load so if you have a thermostat that's stuck open i mean stuck partially open that means it doesn't want to close either so it's going to give you a, a contradictory performance but keep that in mind if that thermostat is not fully open it's not going to send all of the coolant to the radiator remember it's the radiator's job to dissipate the heat all right very very important other thing to keep in mind is that a lot of diesel engines and i'm not even going to say larger ones because a lot of medium smaller ones let's say like a ford power strokes and i think the duramax but a lot of diesel engines run two thermostats dual thermostats 
there's a primary and a secondary. The primary opens sooner, and that's the way they could control so the engine maintains heat because the radiator is designed for maximum BTU rejection under extreme load. And years ago, like on tractor trailers, they would have shutters or even old Oliver gasoline farm tractor. When I was a kid, we had a hard par Oliver. It had a, 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 a curtain that you could pull in front that irradiated to block some of the air. But so a dual thermostat, so let's say the first thermostat will open at 190 degrees, and then the second thermostat opens at 220 degrees. I'm making up numbers, and but that's probably more or less being right. And then what will happen is that it will allow more flow of the or 100, I'm going to say 100%, but that may not be. But let's say 100% of flow to the radiator when the engine gets hotter, you take the load off the engine and the other thermostat closes it and maintains the operating temperature. Because remember, the job of a thermostat is to maintain an operating temperature a proper efficient operating temperature just like you would have a thermostat in a house a thermostat in a a refrigerator or what have you very common for one or two of those therm one of those thermostats to fail so if the primary is working fine but the secondary is not opening or only partially opening the engine will be at the right temperature under light load you put it you you put it to the wood you put a big load on it and now all of a sudden the temperature starts to spike like tom's camaro but it wasn't the slats closing off it's because you're limiting the flow to the radiator. you take the load off the engine and that is and that is not uh and, and it, it the it's fine now because it has enough flow through the through the, the primary thermostat but keep in mind if the primary thermostat is sticking it's going to run hot all right it's going to run hot and depending if it's sticking open it may not build temperature if it's if it's stuck in one location and then it's going to bump more onto the secondary thermostat so keep that in mind is that you have two thermostats in a lot of those engines and get familiar with your engine so you know whether they do have two thermostats or not and based upon if it's a primary two thermostat engine if the problem is more under light load it's usually the primary thermostat and if it's more under heavy load it's usually the secondary thermostat but if you're going to go in there and drain the coolant you replace both of them and some of them are actually a unit where it's a primary and secondary in one so keep that in mind another thing that happens is that the that the impeller on the water pump could deteriorate some are plastic they break or i haven't seen i've seen the some one of the blades of the impeller on a metal one rust away so this way you're not moving enough coolant so you don't have enough volume gallons per hour going through the radiator so that becomes an issue and then on the air side you have to realize that that the shroud needs to be intact that the fan clutch needs to be functional and kicking and recognize the temperature and on engines with an electric cooling fan on road vehicles not a combine going through the field on road vehicles that electric cooling fan needs to shut off at a certain road speed because it actually acts as an impediment to airflow through the radiator so if your wife's suv has electric cooling fan and she gets on the highway and it starts to run hot but doesn't run hot around town you it's a very good possibility that electric cooling fan is not shutting off and historically they shut them off around 25 or 30 miles per hour because it actually creates a boundary layer and keeps the air right there inside the radiator and doesn't allow it to go through bring rural america's most important network with you on rfd tv now 
Watch from anywhere, at home, on the farm, even while riding your tractor. Stream agricultural news and weather, commodity market reports, along with traditional country music and entertainment for less than $10 a month. Go to WatchRFDTV.com to subscribe to Rural America's most important network, RFDTV Now. Rural Radio is the first and only national radio channel on Sirius XM serving rural Americans. Each weekday morning, stay current with real-time data, expert analysis on the markets, and tailored forecasts you care about with Market Day Report. Then, in the afternoon, catch up on shows like Real Ag, Ag PhD, Shark Farmer, and Western Sports Roundup. Rural Radio 147, the agribusiness and Western lifestyle channel. When the weather changes, we keep you up to date so you can make the best decisions for your farm or business. We break down the growing degree days, soil moisture, drought, and pasture conditions. Plus, we keep an eye on the competition sharing South American weather patterns and what they could mean for your bottom line. Rural America depends on our tailored weather forecasts, and we're here when you need to know. RFD-TV, Rural America's most important network. Hi everybody, this is Marty Stewart. Join me as I travel coast to coast, city to city, exploring America with sounds and stories on Marty Stewart's America Odyssey. Then stick around for the Marty Stewart Show, bringing the brightest stars and the best music straight into your home with the help of my fabulous superlatives. It all starts Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, right here on Rural Radio. Welcome back to Farm Machinery Digest Radio. If you have any questions on cooling systems, I know we went through it fast, but those are the bullet points for you to look at that make it an elusive diagnosis. Please reach out to me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. And before you meet me in the farm shop, we got to bring in my buddy, Tex Rubinowitz from Ripsaw Records. He's the hot rod man. Hey everybody, Tex, thank you so much. So now you're going to meet me in the farm shop. You ready? Come on in. Come on in. Grab a seat. And what we're going to talk about today is skewed electronics. When replacing a failed electrical component, you need to recognize that what looks the same may or may not be. Just as agricultural crops are graded, so are the components that go into making up a circuit board. For example, a low-cost resistor may be at the high or low end of the acceptable specification, but may drift or skew when when exposed to elevated temperatures. The hallmark would be an electrical device that intermediately does not work properly. This is the game many low-cost remanufacturers of electrical components play. The parts that they are the, the parts they use are theoretically to specification, but not much more could be said about them. 
the best way to safeguard from this is to stick with a known brand that you have a history with and then even then you could only hope for the best and that is really that's the the dirty little secret of the electronics industry is that when you're buying something from an oe whether it's a car manufacturer farm tractor manufacturer what have you grain controller they're using the highest level of electronics that that components i should say at that price point can allow or it's not going to be like avionics in a jet fighter right or an airliner but it's going to be much better than you would get when you buy a low cost component and it's the it's the you know just like you look at seed right there's all different seeds you look at crop protection you have generic you have generic glyphosate and you have the real deal and yet 41 percent glyphosate but things are different so just keep that in mind and that is often a problem so i want to thank you so much for tuning in and i want you to know that the hot rod farmer is pulling for you the American farmer and rancher, and my beloved, beloved America. You have a blessed day. I'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. In the field, on the farm, or in the saddle, we're right there with you in your pocket, on your phone, and everywhere you go. RFD TV Now. Current ag reports, geo-targeted weather, live streaming 24-7, and our full collection of shows you love at the tip of your finger. At less than $10 a month, it's the cheapest tool on the farm. Download the app today and start watching RFD-TV now. This Iowa Minute is brought to you by the Iowa Farm Bureau. Three times as much for an organic yam versus a conventional one. Whatever your choice, Iowa farmers are happy to grow it. But 12% of Iowans can't afford your choice. They turn to food banks. We're serving 42 different communities in 12 counties in the north central Iowa area. Anywhere from 16 to 1,900 people each month. The Cerro Gordo County Farm Bureau is happy to do its part. Farmers know their job to feed people requires work in and out of the field. We all realize that there are people in the community that cannot afford the groceries that they need, and we're all big supporters. Farm Bureau is always, always pretty involved. The Hawkeye Harvest Food Bank and other food banks around the state are in critical need of donations. To see how you can do your part, check out the Iowa Food Bank Association website, iowafba.org. With your Iowa Minute, I'm Lori Johns. Listen, farming is all about appreciating the simple things in life. So why make it complicated? I'm Rob Sharkey of Shark Farmer Radio, and I just want to cut down the confusion and delve deeper and deeper into the tangled controversies within the farming world. There's so much to learn from the great people of agriculture. So forget the nonsense and let's get back to the basics on Shark Farmer Radio, Monday through Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern on Rural Radio 147 on Sirius XM.